0: Experienced in these blackouts, blackout stretches of
1: time Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Captain's Log. This is your captain, Jose Viy Jr., joined as always by that most capable and trusted co-host, Mason Stephanie Schrader. Welcome that's back, Mason. What was that? Sorry.
2: That's not my name.
1: Is it? Uh, I'm probably, I, that's, My
2: mom told me the other day that if I was a girl, she was gonna call me Bailey.
1: Sorry, Mason Bailey Schrader. I was gonna Thank mix you. Up. Yeah, that's a cute name for you if you were gonna be a girl.
2: My brother was gonna be Katie. With a D. Hmm. It fits him.
1: I mean, you know what? That's unique. So I will take that. You know what the D and K
2: for, stands for, right?
1: What does it stand for? Dumb. Nice. Dude, <laughs> I nice. I roasted
2: that motherfucker. Dude. He doesn't, he doesn't listen, so he'll never know.
1: <laughs> well, anyway, Mason, we are inching ever closer to Spooktober, also known as Ooh. the height of our power.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, I, I just want to know how are you preparing? For this most special time,
2: Mason. So every night uh-huh. I will, I have a, I have a collection. I have like a, like, you know, advent calendars for Christmas. Yeah. I have a pumpkin for every, every day until Halloween. Uh-huh. And every night about half hour before bed. Yeah. I, I carve the pumpkin.
1: Uh-huh.
2: I take the top off. I put it on my head wow. and I make my partner refer to me as the pumpkin king. And if she doesn't, I th- scream and I sprint around the
1: apartment going,
2: call me the pumpkin can! You fucking call me the fucking pumpkin! You call me the pumpkin can!
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I do something similar in that I just watch spooky videos. Yeah. But it's, it's you know, it's yeah. <laughs> different sizes. <This> it's some <laughs> classic October stuff. Different sides of the same coin. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, Well, Mason, today uh, we're tackling a story well known to those within the entertainment industry, uh, a story of ambition, of desire, and disappointment. Is this a
2: personal inspiration story for you?
1: uh, No. 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 I had to think about it because I was like, no, no, no. no." Okay. Today, we are taking a look at the tragic tale of Peg Entwistle, or as she- Sorry. Do a
2: bit where I said a bunch of celebrities that are very problematic, but then I thought that maybe that would be a bad idea, so I
1: did That maybe that would be problematic for us.
2: Well, yeah.
1: Yeah. Don't like, worry, buddy. There's
2: problem. What? Danny Masterson. That's the only one I can Ooh. say because he went to jail. Harvey Weinstein. Those two are fine, yeah. right?
1: It's so funny because uh, so. In case the listeners didn't know, I'm. Um, I'm it's back be in a film a humble school. Brag. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I went told back you. to film school. No, it's not a humble brag. If anything, it's a you fucking idiot. Um, but, uh, <laughs> that's <laughs> what they're saying. That's what, no, that's what they're saying to me. That's what the listeners are saying. Oh, you went oh. back to film school. You fucking moron. Oh. Um, but I did, but it's okay guys. Cause this, this one, this one is fun. It's not like the, the cult one I was at before, but anyway, um, yeah, Harvey Weinstein comes up a lot, uh, it, because most of the faculty at my school are like crew. So they were like, they've been in the industry as, you know, uh, what do they call it? Uh, above line. Up under the line. Under the line. Um, the
2: fuck you're in film school? Why didn't you know that? I don't fucking know, man. Dude, I'm a Jesus, fraud, dude. One of these Jesus days I'm going to get found out, dude. Oh, my God.
1: Uh, d- uh, I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> I'm going to cut <laughs> it out so that it sounds like I knew, I knew what I was talking about. But anyway, the point is a lot of them were like, yeah, we we knew. Like, you could tell. You could always tell. And, like, we would say things and it would just get ignored. So it's, it's pretty fun. It's cool. pretty fun. Uh, anyway... Speaking with that in mind, uh, we're covering this topic for uh, a lot of reasons. One, um, it's, uh, uh, she actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. Today we're taking a look at the tragic tale of Peg Endwhistle, or as she came to be known, the Hollywood Sign Girl. Famous for leaping to her death from the H on the Hollywood sign, it was the '30s. They weren't very creative with names.
2: I was gonna say I would feel like the golden age of Hollywood would come up with something more creative than the Hollywood sign no, girl. No,
1: no, no.
2: That's like a that's like a first pass. Yeah, it's the uh, Hollywood sign.
1: I would have been girl. like the uh, the the, uh, the Hollywood. Haunt or like the the specter of the silver screen. I don't know something like that. You know that one.
2: I think already exists.
1: Yeah, I think that is a thing. Yeah,
2: uh, I would have. I would have said the Hollywood Heights fall.
1: Hmm. There you go. Sure.
2: Yeah, well, I, I'm anyway. not in Hollywood.
1: Mason, are you ready to take a trip in the golden age of Hollywood?
2: Yes, I very much am.
1: Well, what a better time to do this, Mason, than the year that the sign actually celebrates 100 years. Uh, I was not aware of that. Oh. The sign was actually... We'll get into it, but yeah, this is 100 years of the Hollywood sign, and as we'll discover later on, uh, this incident actually took place in September. Um, we're a couple of days late, but uh, synchronicities, I'll say that. I didn't even know any of this when I chose to do this topic in September. Yeah. I just knew that that I wanted to cover something related to Hollywood, Um because this is this is this won't be coming out on my birthday but i consider this my birthday episode because it'll be like two days after so i wanted to do like a topic that that i've always wanted to cover um but then through the research it was all like yeah man and i'm like whoa so
2: spooky stuff is out there man i'll tell you what
1: well with that mason let our tale begin
2: this is hollywood
0: the most famous and most glamorous place in the world
1: The City of Stars, Tinseltown, La La Land. Hollywood has gone by many names, but regardless of what you call it, there is one image that is synonymous with this place in the industry it houses. Standing at 45 feet tall and 400 feet wide, made out of corrugated steel and mounted on a metal frame, the nine white letters on top of Mount Lee are symbolic and iconic. Today we associate it with the movie industry. For young creatives making the big move to Los Angeles, it stands as a beacon of hope, a symbol of our grandiose dreams of success, as a constant reminder that the life you seek is within reach if you're willing to make the journey. For young
2: creatives who didn't move to Hollywood, it stands as a beacon of bitterness, <laughs> a place where sellouts and douchebags go because they're not real, they're fake and they're posers, and the real creatives are not cynical and they're in other places,
1: like Osceola, Iowa. Yeah. I got <laughs> that is certainly what it means to me. The first one, not what Mason said. Uh and it's sorry,
2: cuz apparently even though that I live in a, f- even though that I don't live in fucking LA, there's apparently just it's got to be rush hour fucking traffic outside. Yeah, sorry.
1: That's what that that is my favorite thing is that Mason lives in a less populated area than I live and i live people. on i mean honestly i moved away from a busy street but even when i first moved here i was on a busy street and we always heard more traffic noise from fucking mason's town than we ever did from where i lived and i lived right on a big uh busy street victory yep. boulevard in van nuys but um yeah so that always cracks me up
2: yeah it's hilarious yeah <laughs> yeah
1: well anyway so when i first moved here it was one of my favorite parts of my daily commute Sometimes there's still some days when I'll go out of my way to be able to drive past it just to see it again. Can you Um, see it
2: from down in the town, or is it just a haze of smog?
1: No, actually, fun little fact for all the LA haters out there: we don't have smog every day. It's just every (laughs) other day. Okay.
2: Well, okay, between the fog, uh, the the smog, and the the smoke from the (laughs) wildfires.
1: (laughs) Fingers crossed. We haven't gotten any, so fingers crossed. Uh, Knock on wood, everybody. (laughs) Its beginnings, uh, the Hollywood sign's beginnings, are much different than its current status. The year was 1923. A group of developers, who included Harry Chandler, who would go to become the publisher of the Los Angeles Times, commissioned the sign as an advertisement for a new housing development in the Hollywood Hills. I'm not going to do that voice for the whole time. Uh, the, I thought about it. I was like, what if I do the whole episode like that? And then I was like, I can't, I can't sustain that. Uh, the original sign read Hollywood land, the name of the housing development. And it used to flash in three segments, Holly, Wood, and land, which again, when I first moved here, I didn't fucking know this. I don't know if you've ever thought this, but I used to think the Hollywood sign was always lit up. And I moved here. I went to Griffith Observatory one night and you, you can see that the, the Hollywood sign from there. And I was looking around, and I was like, where the fuck is the Hollywood sign? And I asked, like, one of the employees, and they looked at me like I was a fucking imbecile. And they went, Hollywood sign doesn't light up. And I was like, what? And they're like, that's just a myth from, like, TVs and movies. And I was like, all right, cool. This is
2: interesting because I never once thought that the Hollywood sign had lights on it.
1: Well, because I, I feel like every film I've seen, they show it at night, and it's lit up. But it, it's not. They, they, so, I mean, it used well, yeah, to be. Well, yeah, that makes
2: sense because in a movie, if they need to show it at night, it would have to be lit up.
1: Oh, yeah. I was going to say, fun fact, they actually did light it up in 99 to mark the turn of the millennium. Mm-hmm. And uh, it. So, so part of the reason why they don't light it up, in case anyone's wondering, like I was, uh, is because it. the road leading up to it is a small neighborhood. It's like a tiny, small residential street. So when they lit it up in 99, it fucking gridlocked the entire hills and it was a nightmare and they they the city wanted to do to do it to keep it lit up but the 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 residents of that area were like fuck no
2: it gridlocked it because people
1: were driving up to see it yeah ah okay just constantly and and just parking on the street it was just a mess and then the city was like well can't ever do that again whoops didn't stop and think about that
2: that's like um, when they, what was, it just happened recently where someone lit off fireworks in the middle of a, of New York. Oh, yeah. And it was like, hey. Don't do that. Don't do that.
1: Just stop and think for a fucking second. Yeah. It used to flash in three sections, right? It costs a total yeah. of $21,000, which is around $370,000 today, which is not a lot for uh, something like that. I feel like, That's you, true. you know.
2: I expected it to be more.
1: Yeah. To make it, uh, it it cost $21,000, and it consisted of three-foot by nine-foot metal frames held together by scaffolding, pipes, wires, and telephone poles. It was originally intended to stay up for only 18 months, but it remained up long after that, with Chandler's uh, LA Times running advertisements for the housing development over the years. But as the Great Depression hit, it took its toll, and the housing syndicate was dissolved. Ownership of the sign was transferred to the M.H. Sherman Company, who found the electrical costs of the sign too high and decided to turn it off and abandon it. And thus came a long and difficult time for the sign. But it is around this time that our story takes place.
0: It's a place of dreams, hopes, and riches, and its streets are filled with the studios, homes, and landmarks that are monuments to its greatness.
1: Millicent Lillian Entwistle was born on February 5th, 1908, in Port Talbot, Wales. She was born to Emily Stevenson and Robert Symes Entwistle, two theater actors. Not much is known about... En- <laughs> sorry, you're making a face?
2: Yeah, don't... Theater. A theater. Theater actors. Theater.
1: Not much is known about... Theater! And-
2: <laughs> okay, sorry.
1: Not much is known about Entwistle's mother, but her father earned his living with small roles and designing sets. When acting work was scarce, he would work in his father's stationery shop to make ends meet. That's kind of adorable. A stationery shop?
2: How disappointed must that dad be?
1: Yeah. Entwistle's parents divorced in 1910, and Robert was granted full custody of Peg, who would never see her mother again. Most sources believe she grew up thinking her mother had died. Peg was brought up in the theater world by her father, who in 1913 landed a job on Broadway and brought his young daughter with him to New York. Where? New York City, baby. Start spreading the news. I haven't heard of this. I'm leaving today. What? I'm gonna be a part of it. This is like a New famous York, place? New York, New York. No, it actually is. It's, it's Cincinnati now. It became Cincinnati.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> Skyline Chili. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Skyline Chili. Look it up. Mm-hmm. It's not gross. I mean, it's gross, but it's not dirty.
1: The following year, he met a second wife, Loretta Ross, the sister of his brother Charles's wife. By all accounts, Peg loved her stepmother, who would give her two brothers, Robert and Milton. Growing up in the acting world, Peg dreamt of becoming an actress herself, taking her first role at the age of 12 as Peter Pan in a school production. She then became obsessed with acting. She would mimic actors in the mirror, read all about them in magazines, and go to as many plays as she could. It was after attending one of these plays, Peg, oh, my heart. (laughs) I mean, if you insist.
2: (laughs) Good one. Thanks.
1: Ah. that she renamed herself Peg Entwistle. Not better. No, I think Millicent... Millicent
2: is much better than I,
1: Peg. Pe- I hate the name Peg. I've never...
2: I, okay, well, my great-grandmother was... Her, oh, name, was well, peg, her no, name was Peggy. Her name was Peggy is different.
1: Peggy is better. Peg is... Right. Feels like a, like a pet. Feels like you if would call was, a it pet would, pig It's a peg. good
2: name for a pirate. <laughs> peg Leg Entwistle.
1: Yeah, but that's like Peg Leg. That's not...
2: But, I mean, yeah, all right,
1: Anyway. Life was good for the Antwizzle family until tragedy struck in 1921 when Loretta died of meningitis. As the family came to terms with the death of their mother and wife, tragedy struck again only a year later when Robert was struck by a vehicle and succumbed to his injuries.
2: Look, I don't mean to make light of this, but it probably would suck to get hit by, like, one of the 60 cars. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's you the know thing. What I mean?
1: I, I'm like thinking about. How, but also this is a time when probably cars were. I mean, they're very dangerous now, but this is when people were just going crazy in cars. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. just well, it. this is also mm-hmm.
2: before little fun mm-hmm. history of cars. Um, fucking cities were built to be walked in, and then big car corporations were like fuck you and put a lot of money into changing everything. And now shitholes like Los Angeles exist where you've got to drive everywhere.
1: Yeah, I and was. I didn't even uh, mean
2: shithole and like making no, no, fun no, of you. Right, I mean right. like, the this fact is, that it's an is, inherently unwalkable city. This is a
1: hobby that I have sometimes, where I, I, I look up clips of uh, LA in the '60s or '50s, uh, and uh, sometimes Salt Lake City too, because Salt Lake City was heavily uh, changed by uh, the automotive industry, and it just makes me so mad. We yep. used to have a trolley system in Los Angeles and in Salt Lake too, yeah. but we used yeah. to have a trolley system like you could get places because it was public transport, and then fucking Chevy and all those fuckers came in.
2: Here's what I'm going to say. Never trust anybody who owns a car company.
1: I always love, too, how, like, when Europeans will be like, at least we have walkable cities, Americans are like, oh, yeah, well, uh, you can't drive a Ford Dodge Cummins Duramax, and I'm like, we are the idiots. We are the losers, guys. We're in the wrong. No, let them have this one. Don't get me wrong, most of the time I want to fight Europeans, but...
2: Yeah, I I get it, but it's also inherently not um, it's impossible for, for me to not go at least
1: our yeah, exactly. scoves at, at least we <laughs> all have to worry about getting shot in maths class you know that fish <laughs> with the big teeth <laughs> yeah shout out to our England and Wales listeners because uh, they've That's been supporting true. us we see you though we love hey guys. you guys yeah everyone else though.
2: Um, yeah we're the worst uh, what happened in India
1: have we what are you saying? what do you mean
2: I was just asking our English people, friends what happened in <laughs> India.
1: I thought you were asking me, and I was like, uh, I don't know. What did I do? No. You're like, Jose, what happened in India, huh? And I'm like, oh, you heard about that?
2: Yeah.
1: At just 14 years old, Peg Entwistle found herself an orphan. So Peg and her two brothers moved in to live with her uncle, Charles, who was I'm also active. i change
0: my name to Annie.
1: It's a hard not. No, sorry. Oh.
0: It's a whole
1: not life for us. us. Uh, So, Peg and her two brothers moved in with her uncle Charles, who was also active in show business as an actor and manager. At the time the children moved in with them, the couple was living in Ohio. Uh, After a short period, they moved the whole family to Los Angeles. But 17 year old Peg decided to return to New York. Longing for the prestigious (laughs) stages of Broadway, she spent some brief time at an acting school before joining a theater group in Boston. Shortly after, she was recruited by the New York Theatre Guild, and her career finally began. She often found herself acting alongside some well-known actors and getting critical acclaim for her performances. Rumor has it, she even inspired a young Betty Davis, who during a performance of The Wild Duck, turned to her mother and said, I want to be exactly like Peg Entwistle. I don't know the legitimacy of that claim, but it's repeated everywhere. In 1927, Peg married fellow actor Robert Lee Keith. Any guy that's named Robert Lee is going to be a villain, so just gear up.
2: Yeah, I was ready for that as soon yeah. as you said that.
1: The marriage yeah. lasted yeah. a short two years. There are many speculations as to why. Some say that Robert was controlling. Her uh, husband
2: did, in the 1920s? Controlling. I know, it's so
1: weird, right? Yeah. Peg did take a break from acting while she was married to Robert but it seems that the official reason was cruelty and deception robert who was 10 years older than peg had kept her in the dark yeah had kept her in the dark about his life before her he failed to mention that he had been married twice before and that he had a 6 year old son that's a lot to hide from someone it's one thing to be like yeah i was married before like i mean you should tell someone but i can be i can see why you would be like Look, it was a really traumatic marriage for me. Like I didn't want to bring it up or whatever, but having a fucking 6-year-old son, not even like a 1-year-old son.
2: When do you think she found out?
1: 2 years into the marriage, apparently.
2: 2 years into the marriage? Yeah. Jesus Christ.
1: And I'm like I'm I wonder how that even came up. Like do you think she was like, "Well, what else are you keeping from me?" And I'm like, and he's just like, "Larry." And she's like, "What?" He's like Larry, my six-year-old son.
2: <laughs> I like to think that one day he was just like, "Hey Peg, listen, you know that tiny butler? <laughs> <laughs> he's not a butler."
1: Peg, you know my short friend Phil? Yeah, he's yeah, not. I love Phil. Yeah, he's remember so nice. how I told you he had a a rare disease that yeah, made him Benjamin look like Button's a small? Disease. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I remember? Um, yeah, that's not true. He's my son. He's my biological son. It's actually kind of impressive that I managed to trick you for so long. Like he yeah, no, talks I like know. a child. It's kind of insane. Yeah,
0: no, I. You, I'm not a fucking idiot. I oh. I know, Robert. i You oh. thought that I thought that he was actually a child.
1: Well, to you're be a fair, fucking, Peg. You're
0: a, no, don't not to be fair, Peg. You're a fucking idiot. I thought we were doing a bit this whole time. To be you fair, You thought Peg. I actually thought that? That's just a fucking testament to how much better of a fucking actor I am than you. Peg, to be fair. I was doing I a bit. I got him
1: little costumes. And.
0: They're just clothes.
1: I got him little cigars to smoke as well.
0: Yeah, which not cool.
1: It's Do you, the 1920s. You not wonder why
0: I kept. when Listen, you, lit you him, I kept taking them out of his mouth. <laughs> so You're you a never believed idiot. it for a second? Robert, you're no, you're a fucking idiot.
1: Oh god, I thought I we were doing a big that your six year bed. old
0: son was a was a was a butler, was your friend. I I didn't believe it, dumbass.
1: Not even the night that he pulled no. up in a little car that I had specifically designed for him.
0: There there were pedals in it. I've seen them. They're mm. toys. I know. Hmm. Wait, did you not know that they made toys? You made him a little car, even though they've never have heard of this. To-
1: I got a miniature horse for him as well. You've never
0: made me come.
1: Well, Peg, come on now, sweetheart. The female orgasm is a myth. Don't be silly. Now you sound like a moron, Peg. (laughs) Who's a smart one now, huh? (laughs) Next thing you know, you're going to tell me the clitoris is real. (laughs) I'm (laughs) going to go drink and study. (laughs) Phil, let's get out of here. Climbs on his shoulders. (laughs) He's got a little scotch glass. (laughs)
2: <laughs> do you think he was I we got to move on but do you think yeah. he was also like like look this is my son also I have two sons and then like two years later he was like also that other son is actually a monkey
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yes
2: <laughs> He's a yes. chimp I won in a game of poker
1: Pay guy I lied to you when I said I had a 6-year-old son yeah. He's actually a 6-year-old chimpanzee that I found in the Congo Yeah, but, I uh, saw
0: him rip the throat out of, that, out, of the, out of the maid last week
1: Oh no, that wasn't him. That was actually my nephew. He was in town. I dressed him up like a monkey. It's a whole thing, Peg. I'd it's like a so divorce. many moving parts <laughs> to this bit.
2: We you, actually put we put the understand. chimpanzee in a boy costume in a monkey costume, and we put a monkey or we put a boy <laughs> in a monkey costume twice.
1: Uh, God, I love. Being I am active. high as shit. <laughs> Some reports. Uh, well, also on top of that, Mason. He was like repeatedly cheating on her, and he beat her a lot. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So some reports say that Peg had broken some big contract in New York, uh, something to do with a guild, I think, to mm. to run off and marry Robert. It wasn't like they didn't want her to marry him, but when she married him, he they wanted to make the move elsewhere. Gotcha. And she and then also he was controlling. He told her to stop acting, so she broke this. And basically, she burned her bridges to be with this guy.
2: Fellows. Is it wrong to fall in love with a woman that does something and then immediately be like, "Stop doing that," right? That's I my mean, favorite
1: genre of guy. Yeah, it's who great. when they're Everyone dating loves them are like, "I that. have no issue with the fact that they." I don't know. Like, take an example. I like,
2: love it. I love that you do that. Stop it! Don't ever yeah. do it again.
1: <laughs> so Robert. Uh, so so she broke this this thing in order to marry Robert, and that was what led her to join the film industry. But I'm not entirely sure about this. Um, this uh, rumor that she broke some contract or whatever. It kind of just seems like maybe she just burned her bridges by taking a two-year gap from uh, ah. the entertainment industry. From my understanding, like I said, yeah, Pega had taken two years off from acting and returned at the same time that the Great Depression had hit and theaters were suffering. So she was desperate, short on cash, and emotionally damaged so of course she came to Hollywood. The place where people like that go.
2: I'm doing jazz hands. He's doing jazz hands. The rush begins. As more and more theaters become wired for
0: sound, stage-trained actors, directors, and writers flock to Hollywood.
1: See, by 1930, uh, by the 1930s, a major shift had happened in Hollywood, Mason. And this is actually, again, I am actually really fascinated in the golden age of Hollywood. It is one of, we'll have to, there's a billion other crimes that we're going to cover at some point based in the golden age, which I
2: love. Yeah.
1: Uh, it was just a lot of it crooks. It kind of seems like it
2: was a terrible time. Oh, no, it was a
1: terrible time, but it's a great time for us doing this podcast. Because uh, it was just, uh, crooks were just being crooks in in, 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 in open, like in, in public, man. It was yeah. incredible. The silent film era had ended. The talking picture was here. As many Hollywood scholars and fans of Singing in the Rain know, boasted by the success of 1927's The Jazz Singer, the five major studios in Hollywood who controlled the industry at the time, Warner Brothers, RKO, 20th Century Fox, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, and Paramount Pictures, made the shift to talking pictures. This had a momentous... Is
2: RKO the only, non, the, the only one that's, that no, didn't, that's, that's no longer n- yeah. functioning? They're or, the ones who did not saying? survive.
1: Okay. Yeah. am okay, uh, just
2: curious. That was more for me than anything else. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so this had a momentous impact on the industry. Many silent film actors, who again, just go watch Second of the Rain to basically understand this, they present it in a really funny way. But many silent film actors couldn't cut it. They had to deliver lines, and they just couldn't make the change. But theater actors, with their experience, could. So many theater actors found success in making the switch from the stage to the silver screen. And this is exactly what Peg Entwistle set out to do. How many
2: actresses, actors, and actresses were like, would like walk into their agent's office and be like, "You think I'm gonna make it in the talkies?"
1: <laughs> a lot, I bet. It's just, yeah, again, it's just a scene from Singing in the Rain where, when they're talking about how they're making the switch to the talkies, and they're like, "Oh, great, that'll be great," or whatever, and then, and then, what's her face is in the background. She goes,
0: "Lamont and Lockwood, they talk." Well, of course we talk, don't everybody?
1: Her skill as a stage actress proved beneficial to Beg as she landed a contract with RKO Pictures. Shortly after, she was cast in the film 13 Women in a Supporting Role. The film, directed by George Arkinbod, was based on a novel of the same name. It centered around a group of sorority sisters who find themselves the target of a killer. It's apparently way crazier than that too, but that's like the most Mm. basic way to explain it. It Does Uh, sound kind of fun. This psychological thriller was. I was gonna watch it, but I didn't have time. So maybe next week I'll come back and I'll tell you guys what I thought.
2: Ooh, maybe for our next. um, Ooh,
1: for our lost log. Yeah, we can. Yeah, we can do that. Talk about it. Yeah. This psychological thriller was one of the first all-female ensemble films, and many credit it as an early influence of the slasher genre. This was set to be Peg's big break into the motion picture game. However, Peg's character was a lesbian and most of her scenes involved lesbianism. At the time, not only were social views towards such topics prudish, but the Hayes Code was beginning to come into fruition. Not implemented yet, but the studios already had it on their mind to self-regulate. For those of you who don't know, brief breakdown of the Hayes Code, it was a self-regulation that the industry came about because the government threatened to censor a lot of it. So they basically went, okay, we're going to do this ourselves. There's certain things you can and can't show in, in on the... On, on the the screen it was horrible it was detrimental to the industry it lasted too long honestly
2: it it was imagine if it during the prohibition someone was like the government's gonna ban all drinking well let's beat them to it
1: yeah that's exactly pretty much it
2: and then they were like no more cigarettes no more coffee and it's like hold on no no the only way you can have sex is by showing a train go into a tunnel (laughs) yeah there's a little bit of that's yeah. a little wing for my film guys out Man, there. They huh? got it. They got it. Yeah.
1: They just high-five. And
2: ladies, there's, yeah. there's no one cares. <laughs> I'm going to go put a tiny beanie on. Hold on.
1: Yeah, I was going to say Mason, we haven't seen one of your tiny beanies in a long time, but it's also summer. So, oh,
2: I have worn one, but it's it's still hot.
1: Yeah. So, her involvement in the film was drastically cut from 16 minutes of screen time to only four in the finished product, although some sources say it was much shorter than that. To add insult to injury, RKO did not renew her contract, so during that blistering summer of 1932, Peg was now at her lowest. Although she had not been in LA long, she had suffered immense emotional turmoil at this point, divorced her husband, cut from her big break, shut out from her theater community, and now her opportunity to make it onto the silver screen had been ripped away from her. Peg saw no way forward at this point. So, on the night of September 16th, 1932, Peg told her uncle Charles that she was going to rendezvous with some friends nearby. Some reports say that she was intoxicated, but others dispute this claim. What we do know is that Peg hiked her way from her uncle's house to the Hollywood Hills. There were no barriers to stop people from reaching the letters back then, so Peg walked right up to the H in Hollywoodland, climbed a workman's ladder that had been left behind. She stood atop the sign overlooking the city of glitz and glamour that had been the final disappointment in her young life. And finally, she jumped, falling 50 feet down to her death. At 24 years of age, Peg and Whistle exited this mortal plane. Either the next day or the day after that, a woman who was hiking in the area came across a lady's shoe, jacket, and purse. Inside, the hiker found a note that read,
2: I am afraid, I am a coward. I am sorry for everything. If I had done this a long time ago, it would have saved me a lot of pain, P.E.
1: That's when the hiker looked down the mountain and saw a body about 100 feet away. The hiker did not want to get involved, which I've, you know, uh, to be fair, I've advocated for that on this podcast before. That maybe you should just leave an anonymous tip because almost always you become the first suspect when you find a dead body.
2: Especially in a time where there's no DNA to, like, yeah, exactly. Now it's especially when you in see a time dead body, when, when you're like, oh, okay, yeah.
1: Yeah. Especially yeah. at a time also when, which they still do, but the LAPD was just like, eh, we want you to go to jail, you know?
2: <laughs> well. Thank God the LAPD stopped doing that.
1: (sighs) The hiker did not want to get involved, so they took the items to the police station in Hollywood and left them on the front steps. Peg's uncle, Charles, would read about a woman found at the Hollywood sign and the suicide note left behind. He made the connection to his niece, who had been missing for days at this point, and went down to the police station and identified the body. The autopsy revealed a devastating detail for Peg's family. The fall had not immediately killed her and she had been alive for some time after her fall before she succumbed to her injuries. Peg would be cremated and interred alongside her father in Ohio.
2: Jesus fucking Christ.
1: See, I didn't know that detail. I'd heard the story a bunch of times, and I just assumed she died on impact It's 50 feet, but apparently yeah, she was alive. I don't know for how long, but she was alive afterwards, which is...
2: This... I knew that this was coming. This has taken such a dark like fucked up mm. I, like that note was so it's it,
1: the note always gets me man yeah it um yeah.
2: jesus fucking christ that's
1: bleak within days however the story had blown up across the nation the story of the hollywood sign girl as the media had dubbed her spread like wildfire california knows the thing <laughs> never mind <laughs> <laughs> California knows a thing or two about wildfires, huh? About wildfires. Uh, yeah. <laughs> rumors began to circulate the days after her death. A letter arrived offering her a part in a production about a woman who committed suicide. Now, these rumors were partly correct. A letter did arrive for Peg offering her a lead role from RKO. Milton Entwistle, her brother, who was 12 at the time, would later recall his aunt and uncle's rage over the fact that the studio did not simply call with her offer, as they believed it might have saved their niece's life. God, I just, uh, it's almost like a movie. You know, it's, anyway. Yeah. A month after her death, 13 women premiered and received minimal critical and commercial success.
2: Oh, she did it before her movie even premiered. Yeah,
1: well, but she had been she had been shown the the finished product and right shown that still, all her shit it was could cut. Have. Yeah, Jesus. And um, you know, a lot of people actually. I'll save this till the end. I'll save this to end. Many people believe right. that Peg's death played a massive part in the Hollywood sign shifting from a real estate advertisement to a metaphor for the impossibility of making it in Hollywood. I think the L.A. Times said something like after it happened that, like, Peg Entwistle uh, tragically propelled the Hollywood sign to fame. Because, again, before the, before this point, it was just there. Like, nobody was like, oh, my God, it's Hollywood land. Like, they, nobody really associated didn't, it didn't, with the movies. Didn't the
2: guy who owned the L.A. Times also own the sign?
1: Yeah, and he was like – but he was, like, advert- it because it was a sign for a real estate uh, housing right, project. Right,
2: but I'm just saying it's weird that his – his newspaper was like pretty crazy. How famous this sign is now, right?
1: Well, y- yes. Wow, but at, so this that's point, wacky. at this point, that's at wacky this point, at this point, how
2: everybody <laughs> thinks this sign is super famous. Uh, now. Well, at Weird. this point, he had Spooky. sold it to <laughs>
1: to the M H Sherman Company, so it wasn't his anymore.
2: Gotcha. Um, okay.
1: And it wasn't only his. He was part of a housing syndicate, so it was him, M H Sherman, and a bunch of other guys. Um, gotcha. But uh, yeah, like again, before Peg's death. It really was, I mean, it was this fucking, it was, you know, slowly deteriorating. It had been abandoned. It didn't even light up anymore. People, no one, I mean, from what I understand, a lot of people didn't look at it and go, wow, the Hollywood sign, huh? Like, it's representative of Hollywood. And it kind of was after this that it kind of started to gain a more symbolic stature. In his book, Hollywood Babylon, uh, Kenneth Anger claimed that, what a name, uh, claimed that, the other, that other starlets followed in Peg's footsteps and the Hollywood sign became a notorious ending point for dis, the disillusioned in Hollywood. The Hollywood sign would continue to fall into disrepair in the years to come, with the second O collapsing during a windstorm in 1936, followed by two other letters. The H would also famously tumble down the mountainside, an event many believed was brought on by the spirit of Peg Entwistle, who is said to haunt the area to this day. Ownership of the sign and the surrounding area Was transferred to the city of Los Angeles In 1945 Originally the LA Recreation and Parks Commission Wanted the sign torn down As it was an eyesore That was like their words were like Basically like this is a horrible eyesore It's garbage we need to take down But after complaints of the locals Flooded in it was officially restored In 1949 With the land portion being omitted It wouldn't be until 1978 when we got the sign that we know and see today. But though the letters changed, there was one thing that persisted. The reported sightings of Peg Entwistle's specter. People who visit the sign say that they sometimes catch a whiff of gardenias. This is rumored to have been the scent of Peg's favorite perfume and her favorite flower. In 2013, Meg Santos was hiking in the area near the sign when she was suddenly overcome with a sneezing fit brought on by an overpowering scent of gardenias. This was followed by a strange sensation that made her whole body shiver. She would describe what happened next, saying,
2: And then there was, like, this woman with blonde hair, and she seemed to be, like, walking on air. And I immediately ran the other way.
1: Yeah, it's an ally woman, yeah. Another sighting comes to us from the 90s. In 1990, a young couple was hiking in the area who claimed to come across a woman dressed in 1930s attire. They claimed the woman seemed disoriented, but in a moment, she was gone, vanished right before their eyes. The couple reportedly had no knowledge of Peg or her death. A group of teens in 1988 also had a close encounter with what they believed to be Peg's ghost. Despite the fact that they had trespassed beyond the fenced-off area, the group of teens found their endeavor to go off without a hitch. That was until one of the younger members of the group had to go home just before midnight. While they were heading back to their car, one of the members of the group slipped and fell down the side of Mount Lee. He became separated from the rest of the group, who called after him with no response. He eventually found his way back to the group, who now felt uneasy. Their fears were only furthered when the member who had fallen spotted a woman coming towards them on the path. They pointed her out to the rest of the group. They said she was wearing heels, a veil over her face, and a dress that looked like it had come from the 1930s. Her footsteps made no noise. She seemed to glide over the hill as she climbed up, getting closer and closer to the group. When she was close enough, they could see her face, and they ran terrified from the scene. She chased them down the hill, but they managed to get away. Later on, they would discover the legend of Peg Entwistle and became convinced that that was who they ran into that fateful night. I, uh, I've never, I, so I, I've always, I've been meaning to go hike in the area. I, I wish I would have had the time to go before the episode. But the thing is, I think yeah. even if I was there, I don't know what gardenia smell like. So, if it overpowered fair, yeah, me, I, I would either. be like, smells like That's flowers, nice. and then yeah. boom, fucking ghost, you know. Um, I, I definitely yeah. – I, 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 I got to go. I got to go check this place out late one night or something with yeah. people so I don't – oh, I'm a man. Nothing will happen to me. Uh, Peg and Whistle longed for fame and notoriety, and it is ironic that this was exactly what she earned after her death, with her being featured in many pop culture moments. Some say that Lana Del Rey's lyrics from her song Lust for Life
2: Climbed up the H of the Hollywood sign.
1: Is a direct reference Sorry, to Peg. let me do a
2: better yeah. Lana Del Rey. Yeah. <clears throat> climbed up the H of the Hollywood sign.
1: Wow, oh, just like her. Is a direct Hi. reference.
2: I'm George Takei. I'm sorry. Okay, go ahead.
1: <laughs> Is a direct reference to Peg's suicide. Many stories have also used the Hollywood sign as a liminal space for angels and demons and the afterlife in general. With Percy Jackson and the Olympians having the H stand in as the entrance to the underworld of Hades. Peg and Whistle also played a large role in the series Hollywood from Ryan Murphy as inspiration for the character of Camille. Ryan Murphy said of this,
2: And just to be clear, Ryan Murphy's the American Horror Story guy, right? Yes. Okay, I thought so. Uh, anyway. <clears throat> she was always the cautionary tale, the idea that Hollywood can chew you up and spit you out and not really be fair. I've never really ventured far from that idea, so I really just Related to her struggle and sadness.
1: And so, though Peg Entwistle never had her moment in the sun upon the silver screen, today she lives on in infamy to those in Hollywood, as a cautionary tale, as an inspiration, as a ghost, a representative of a long gone era in Hollywood and American life, but at the same time, as a reflection of the harsh reality of the entertainment world, of the danger of disillusionment and putting too much faith in symbols and dreams. It brings me sadness that, in a way, Peg will always be famous, not for the work she did in her life, but as a Hollywood sign girl. And before we wrap up, I do want to bring up, uh, I would just like to have maybe a a short little discussion on on this whole thing. So obviously, I think people have come to associate it as like, ah, see, this is the danger of of putting too much faith in something. And like, she, you know, she killed herself because she... uh, didn't even stop and wait uh, so her biographer um i can't remember his name i'll have to include it in the show notes but her biographer uh argues that she was suffering which uh, obviously she was suffering from a depression and they also yeah. argue that oh, yeah. she would have been diagnosed today with bipolar disorder and also ptsd from incredible childhood trauma she lost her fucking yeah. parents within a year of each other at 14 years old she didn't right. grow up with a mother. Like, she was clearly suffering from a lot more. Well, I don't and think...
2: and I don't mean to be... I don't mean to take this in an even darker path, but that's just the stuff we know about. I can't imagine exactly. being a child actor is... I mean, obviously, we know that it's super fucked up now, but you know what I mean? Imagine... Well, and like... Uh, yeah.
1: Even aside from that... uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean, she got into the industry on her own when she was 17, so she was a young woman. Just imagine yeah. being an actress... Maybe theater was different than, than Hollywood, but again, as someone who likes this or who is fascinated by this era of Hollywood, a lot of bad shit went down. Not right, just towards yes. women, you know, other minorities as well, but a lot of bad shit went down.
2: Well, and in just history in general, bad things happened to women.
1: Yes. And um, aside from what could have happened when she was, you know, in joining the entertainment industry, we mm-hmm. only know a little bit about what happened in her marriage. Who knows what else right. went down in there That we don't know about So right. I think it's obviously And for us That we do something like this It's an interesting story to be like Look this is the the, the danger of like The, the, the folly of, of Hollywood or whatever mm-hmm. um, But it's more complex than that And I think well, you know I, Unfortunately yeah. she's only lived on As this as this story of like Oh she's someone who gave up too quickly And you know it is still sad That maybe you know She could have waited a bit And she would have right. had her big break And we wouldn't even be talking about this but again, right. it's just clearly someone who was struggling with a lot that didn't get the help right. they needed, and yes. it wasn't just like, oh, she was vain and like wanted fame so desperately and she wanted to kill herself. no, she was a very troubled person who was sh- struggling, who was suffering and yeah, unfortunately, I mean, I think
2: you and I yeah, can relate to this quite a bit as people who are you know in creative industries that also struggle with mental health things that like. It is super fucked up to feel like your own. You're a failure at your only form of expression.
1: Yeah, one hundred. percent You know what I
2: mean? Like that's, but that's. It's a I, mental health thing. It's not a. It's not a you being a failure thing. It's just what right. you feel. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's. I mean, and yeah, I mean, I. I. It's very relatable to one hundred percent.
1: Which is again part of why I wanted to cover this episode so much is um, because yeah. it is a very relatable thing. I mean, without getting too more, too personal on here, Mason knows this. There's been many a times where. I've been like you know your, your mental health get, uh, issues get the better of you sometimes and yeah it's that yeah. imposter syndrome it's that you know, fear of failure where you kind of you you get clouded and you think oh god like maybe I am wasting my life cuz I gave and it's and it's always small stupid stuff and then you get over it yeah. Um, yeah but we I only can say that because I live in a time when honestly there's a lot of resources out there for uh, mental health issues. So I can, I know that that it is a small thing that it will, I will get better. It'll feel better. But yeah, it's a tough thing because how old was Peg? She was 24, man. So I'll be 24 in two days. She was my age.
2: Well, I want to say too, and this is more for, and I, I don't mean to be pulling this as someone who's turning 26 this year, Mm -hmm. but It really is the amount of perspective you get on things like that. Because I was always, when I was younger, had really large dreams and stuff. And then it got really hard as I hit a time where it was like, I'm not going to be this uh, voice of a generation that I wanted to be. But, like, it does get better. Like, eventually you start to realize the things that make you happy. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's tough, but... If you're especially for younger creatives under the age of you know 24 and under it feels like everything like all of your f- heroes are have already been famous and it feels like you'll never make it it's hard but it trust me it's amazing and it's totally worth it I would also say this don't bum yourself out and
1: and and this is something that I've learned come to learn this year is that Unfortunately, we have uh, again as as creatives, as as people wanting to join any sort of entertainment industry, whether that be film, television, internet, whatever. We have this idea in our mind <clears throat> because we see a lot of of stars today who are younger than yeah. us uh, yes. making it. You also have to remember yeah. that a lot of those younger people—not to like take away from their talent—but a lot of those younger people also have their foot in advantages. the door through yeah, adva- yeah. P- advantages. But for me, one of the things that I've learned a lot in the past year is that, well, there's two things. One, there is a space for you. Even if it's not where you want to go in, there will be a space, and from there you can get to where you want to go in. One of the things I've learned since being back in film school is that odds are I'm probably not going to make it as a director right away, but I can get in as fucking NAD or, you know, a, a assistant camera or something, and then you work your way in. A lot yeah. of... A lot of the directors that I look up to got in the same way as, as, as assistant writers and then eventually got their way as whatever. But the biggest thing that I've learned in the past year, two years that I've been out here is that that idea that like, oh, if you don't make it before you're 25, you're wasting your time. That is fucking bullshit. Most of the, yeah. the people that I think Mason and I adore, who I think are really you know good actors and, and whatnot... A lot of them didn't even make it until their mid thirties. I mean, I just pulled this one yeah. up because it was on my mind. Pedro Pascal, I yeah, would argue his him. career has only really like, has like gotten into like mainstream in the past three, four years. He's 48. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? He's been yeah, acting yeah. since he was in his twenties. And he's forty-eight. Right. Like a lot of the actors that I like now didn't get their start until like their late 30s, early 40s. So I would say to anybody that is in this and again we're obviously being armchair psychologists here could go to an actual right. professional but i would well, say yeah. from life experience just don't worry about it we had mason and i had a professor who uh he told me once that he was i think he was like 42 when i knew him and he said i can't wait to figure out what i'm going to do when i grow up and that always yeah. stuck with me that it's like there's no there's no uh timeline there's no age limit you can make it you can do the whole point of life is to live it and to try different things and to you know see what sticks just because you don't make it well also big in the in the film industry at 22 doesn't mean that you're never going to make it just
2: yeah this is keep jose i don't mean i don't want jose to undercut the i know we're not psychologists but what we are is two people who had very similar dreams Mm -hmm. and pursued them very very differently and we can give you the perspective of someone who went to l is in la and is still working very hard to achieve those dreams and someone who found out that those dreams aren't the end that the things that you want to be when you're 20 aren't the end of it and you can still find ways to express yourself yeah and fulfill yourself creatively No matter what, you know, and that's what Jose and I can at least bring to the whatever anybody who's listening to this is that like creativity and self-expression on my end is is still incredibly fulfilling for me, even though I've come to terms with the fact that it's not going to make it to very many people. And that's Mm -hmm. fine.
1: And, you know, again, you never know.
2: Yeah. Jose will eventually. Yeah. Jose's got
1: talent. (laughs) Thanks, Mason. You do, too. No you will, problem. too.
2: I only, I can't, I can't, I, I, I can't, I just have to d- disparage myself in order to compliment you.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, you're a rock star, man. Don't even. Don't even.
2: <laughs> I wish. <laughs> okay, this well, is a bit, I, I totally yeah, just yeah. undercut the yeah. entire <laughs> points we were just trying to make. Yes, well, Yes. Well, with you.
1: that, Mason, I think we've reached the end of the show, so let's wrap yeah. it up. If you like the show, make sure to leave us a five-star review, which you can do in-app on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We would really appreciate it if you left us a review. Uh,
2: you can support the show by going to patreon.com backslash captainslogcast and donate a dollar. Anything will help us keep our lights on. You can also go over to TeePublic and shop our merch. Um, I think, do we have a new? Do we have a new? Yes, store? we do. Yes. We have a new thing, and I'm pretty proud of it. Uh, Click the link in our show notes and grab yourself something with our handcrafted with love designs.
1: Remember, if you donate slash support, it also goes towards improving the show and perhaps allowing us to do this full time and not take as many long breaks in between episodes, which we won't ever do again uh before (laughs) we plug our socials i do want to give a quick shout out to speaking of our new design we held a a merch giveaway and i want to give a shout out to our winners uh it was um uh beck and uh, jay and jesus uh some uh jesus obviously has been on the um uh captain's log fm and uh jay and beck have both been uh longtime supporters and fans of the show so we're very thankful to them They're getting their shirts soon. Keep an eye out. We're going to be posting pictures of that. And uh, speaking of the new design, actually two of them, two of the three people chose that design as as the shirt that they wanted. So that's really fun and cool. Uh, Also, shout out to our California listeners. You guys have been uh, our, uh, I mean, this episode is centered in California, but also that's where all our, uh, most of our downloads have come from last month. So to whoever's listening in California, uh, thanks, guys. We appreciate it. Mason, where can our fine listeners find you?
2: Please, look, remember when I was talking about how I know that my art's never going to reach a wider audience and I'm okay with that? Please go follow me on Instagram where you can see all of my art and uh, the stuff that I do. I'm trying to post more and I I really like doing my little dumb art stuff that I do. And I would really appreciate it if you guys came and followed me and looked at it. And, And maybe sometimes you like it and comment and be like, Mason, we love you. Thank you for putting this beauty into the world.
1: That look, would be that would be cool. Not just because he's my co-host and I do a show with him where he designs all of our merch, but it is pretty good. Thanks. Not just because he's the guy that I I really like Mason's stuff. I really, really do. Even if he wasn't making stuff for the show, I would still be if I could buy it somewhere, I would be. I that's what I aim for. Well, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at J.Vaya underscore junior and the show on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok at Captain's Log Pod. We recommend various different materials on there, post show updates, post some occasionally funny things. Uh, we also post additional materials on there. Uh, like if you ever want to, if there's ever an episode where we mention a picture or something, it's going to go up there. So you might want to check that out. Um,
2: also, so I forgot to mention when in my plug uh, at Mason Trader, M A S O N S H R A D E R.
1: That'll probably help. Say it one more time because I cut you off there.
2: Yeah, no problem. Let me double check to make sure that is my Instagram handle now that I think about it. Uh, you can follow me at MasonSHR M-A-S-O-N-S-H-R on Instagram. Please, please do that.
1: You can uh, also subscribe on YouTube where you can find me as Jose Jr. Animal Productions, and of course the show's official YouTube channel, Captain's Log. Uh, we're getting on then. I'm, I gotta get back on that and update that because I know there's a lot of people who get their podcasts through video and they're waiting for me to catch up. I'm don't i'm on it before the end of the year for sure
2: he's a student he's working he's doing like three podcasts he's doing his best
1: (laughs) if you can't get enough of me you can also listen to me on my other podcast with friend of the log max benyon called max and jose have something to say which is coming back for season three soon
2: make sure to tell your friends and family about the show if you enjoy it and if you'd like to share your opinion on this case or have some insight to share, please do so by writing in to captain'slogcast at gmail.com.
1: Yes, please do, guys. Um, I would love to hear from from the fans. Um, I'm just gonna double check here that we don't have anything. I don't. Th- I don't think we have any. And if you ever do write in and we don't read your email, let us know on like the social media or something. Because you know sometimes stuff gets sent. I'll make sure to You're check also- spam and everything. So.
2: You're also welcome to DM us on yeah. On that's Instagram also a or Twitter yeah. Too. We'll
1: definitely. Uh, <laughs> do you want to know some of the emails that we have, Mason? <laughs> yeah, I'd love to hear uh, in the spam. Uh, here we yeah, go. I'm sure. just gonna read two of these. Orgasm trigger. <sighs> uh, penis 17 inch. <laughs> Why? What are you doing with our? I don't know. It's just spam. So anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, so you can also uh, suggest episode topics, guests you'd like to have back, etc. Make sure to subscribe and download on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, and any other podcast directory. Thank you to Carlos Rivera for composing our show's theme. With that, everybody, we have reached the end of our show. We will see you soon for another episode. We will be. Jo- should we plug what we're doing next week, or should it be a surprise? We should plug it. We are going to be joined next week by friend of the log Max and his co-host Parker Rollins from the Better Than Citizen Kane uh, podcast. Uh, I miss Max. Uh, yeah, and it and and I think it'll be fun to have Max and Mason together again, and maybe Parker. Uh, I, yeah, Parker's a good guy. I love that guy. And uh, but yeah, we're we're going to be talking Hollywood spooks. So we're going to be continuing our little Hollywood uh, uh, obsession here. But, um, yeah, yeah, we'll see you next week. I've been your Captain Jose Valle Jr., joined by
2: Mason Uh, Schrader.
1: (laughs) And this has been Captain's Log. End of transmission. See you. See you.